Hey everybody, Rifles Only Accuracy Podcast. This is Jacob Bynum. I'm with you again. A little bit of a shorter interval between podcasts this time. We were uh, trying to you know, pump up the volume a little bit on those. Um, this podcast is everything centerfire and rimfire. So if you have any questions that you want to send into the podcast, uh, ROAP at riflesonly.com. Again, ROAP at riflesonly.com. That is a, it's a website or a, a email address that's affiliated uh, strictly with this podcast. And I've had a lot of questions come in. Um, I'm not going to address those this week. I'm going to address them next week i uh, wanted you to know that they have come in especially concerning the the barrel change and and uh, headspace and things like that and then also about the the books that are out there i know that, that that's another question that came in amongst several others and i appreciate y'all sending in the questions uh but today i have a guest with me a really really good friend of mine uh up from dallas texas which from where i am in texas and where he is in texas it's like a different country so it, it, it's a pretty good drive up there, but I've been friends with him for a long time. But anyway, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast, Mark Lang. Thank you, Jacob. Thanks for having me today. Man, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, you're, uh, you know, I've been friends with you for a long time and you've had a, a very, very interesting life. Um, you know, we've, we've known each other through the shooting community, but I wanted to get just some information, you know, so that people kind of get to know you and, and, and understand what a interesting life that you have had as well in the sniping community as, as it pertains to law enforcement. But, uh, where are you from Mark originally? I'm originally from South Mississippi, a little town, um, named Macomb and, um, uh, it was a great town to grow up in, but, uh, certainly, uh, at the time, back in the early 90s, uh, when wanting to pursue a law enforcement career, uh, that was not where I needed to be. So I had bright lights, big city in my mind, and uh, came over to Dallas. All right, man. Does that show my age a little bit in Macomb, Mississippi, Jerry Clower from there? <laughs> uh, yes and no. He, he's actually born and raised uh, in Elite uh, County. Uh, which is a county right by Pike County. Uh-huh. And uh, yes, I, I grew up on Jerry Clower. <laughs> so I, did I. Uh, I, I, I. I've actually personally met him uh, a couple times. And uh, I mean, that's old school, clean comedy right there. Yeah, it was it was really good. And this is the, I remember the one the one section that he did talking about how um, one of the one of his buddies was up in the tree with the with the raccoon. And he just said, shoot up here and up here amongst us because one of us needs some relief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know they just don't make people like that anymore it doesn't seem like no they sure don't and we are definitely showing our age by even knowing who jerry clower is but it's good stuff to <laughs> go back on and find out you know some of that stuff that, that stuff he was talking would you go to high school there and and then left or what yeah i went to high school there then uh uh did you play football or anything no, no, I, I, and in fact, I, uh, uh, with pride, tell you, I, I didn't pursue that. Uh, I wasn't as big as I am now, or I got to be, but uh, I was in the band. I was a uh, trumpet player, uh, yeah. pretty decent. Uh, got scholarships in junior college, and then I was on the scholarship. I uh, went to uh, University of Southern Mississippi, and I was there at the same time. Brett Favre was our quarterback. Oh wow, oh, that's pretty cool. Well, I, I knew that you played the trumpet. I know that you play taps at, at funerals. I've I've kept up with you on Facebook doing that, and I'm, I appreciate you doing that. It's a uh, it, very moving. Yeah, it, it was always an honor to do. Uh, it's uh, certainly uh, whether it was a retiree or in the line of duty death. Uh, it needed to be done and it was to, you know, to honor those families and the memories. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you, it, you did, I don't know, I don't know how you did it, but you did get to be a pretty big boy. So, uh, somewhere, somewhere you got to working on the weight room. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, uh, I, I avoided a lot of fights probably, uh, when I was, uh, early days patrol work answering calls for service, uh, because of my size. But, uh, you know, when they're high on uh, PCP, it uh, doesn't matter. It yeah. fight you no matter what size you are. And yeah. It doesn't matter how big, bad I think I am. Uh, it's a fight. It's a fight to see who's going to live. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, well, you know, that's 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 the way that's the way it all is. is they turn into that gorilla strength when somebody gets those controlled substances in them. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, what, what did you when did you finally end up in Dallas and what, what did you do before you joined uh, Dallas Police Department? Uh, well, my career path, I mean, for me, you know, I, I feel so kind of blessed that it, it, I had a lot of clarity on what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Which coming out of uh, high school, I knew I wanted to pursue uh, uh, being a police officer, uh, I, and I wanted to major in criminal justice. So I knocked out the, you know, the general studies in junior college, and then at Southern Miss, uh, they had a really good, and still do to this day, 
uh, criminal justice program. And so I, I got to spend two years, you know, studying the courses uh, that I really liked and I found interesting. Got to do ride-alongs with uh, Hattiesburg Police Department. Yeah. And uh, I just had a, you know, grand old time doing that. And uh, we had a, a lot of alumni uh, from USM that were Dallas police officers at the time. And, and really that was kind of the nexus for me ending up with Dallas. I wanted to work with, with the big agency. Right. Well, that's pretty cool. And so you, you just went straight into it then? Yeah, straight into it. Uh, you know, uh, most large urban um, police departments uh, have their own police academy. And so, you know, I tested, uh, got hired, and they, they pay you a salary uh, while you're in the academy. So, I mean, full time, and it's, you know, Monday through Friday. And that lasted for seven months. That was a long seven months. But uh, got that done, and, uh, you know, that was the beginning of the, uh, the, police, the police career that I just ended this past May. Yeah, congratulations on your retirement, by the way. I know you're still keeping really busy, but congratulations on that. I know it was a, it was a long road through there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a lot of ups and downs, and thank you. And, uh, you know, if I had to do it again, I wouldn't change a thing. All right, very good, very good. Well, how long, how long were you with the department before you actually went into SWAT? So I hired on in 1992, um, and then I worked in patrol in one of the probably most high-crime uh, patrol divisions we had, Southeast Operations, uh, up till 1998. And then uh, I tested uh, a couple times for the SWAT team. Usually you don't make it the first time, right. um, so and I didn't. Uh, but then I, I, I made it, and uh, that was uh, 1999. Mm-hmm. And so from 1999 until I retired in 2022, uh, I was a member of our team. Our team is a full-time team, tier one team by the uh, the NTOA standards. And, uh, you know, for the most part, we stay pretty busy. So it's, uh, I definitely, that has been my wheelhouse is the, the SWAT world uh, in, and my specialization in as, as a police sniper. Uh, I really, that's kind of, you know, what's, you know, how I first met you was, right. was through precision rifles and uh, through our buddy with the ATF that got you up to Dallas. Yeah, I remember that. But that range that we worked on, that doesn't exist anymore, does it? Uh, as far as I know, I think Elm Fork is still there. Okay. Uh, and it's still a civilian range. Um, yeah, but now you got me, uh, I'll have to check on that. Yeah, I thought that I thought that, that range was, was uh, no longer. I, I know it was just, it was exclusively LE. And I thought that something happened to where y'all had to move somewhere else. I don't know, I could be wrong on that. I might be thinking about another department that I work with. <laughs> Well, cool. Well, whenever you uh, decided that you were going to get into the sniper thing, I mean, what was it about being a law enforcement sniper? Because you're not you're not the average law enforcement sniper. You know, I I see a lot of people come through rifles only. And, you know, you can pick out the ones that definitely have a passion for it and the ones that don't. I mean, they're they're still professional, but you were professional and you had a passion for the sniping side of the house. And and how did that kind of germinate in your head? Well, and you, you part of me know this. Uh, the genesis of this was I got on the team. Uh, I'm in the squad, and everybody in the squad has got to have a specialty. I mean, everybody's got to be able to make entry into the location, do the basic prerequisites required of a squad operator. But we have to we have to check the box on those specialties, which are police sniper, less lethal operations, now explosive breaching, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And when I got onto that squad, uh, their sniper had just left. Okay. And who ended up being a mentor of mine throughout my career, but he had left. And so they had an opening <laughs> and literally with uh, three months down, and I'll tell you, this is not the way to do it. So when I'm out there teaching and preaching and advocating the correct way they're doing things, this is not it. I My first sniper course I went to was a intermediate course where, uh, look, it's not basic. And, and I hadn't been to a basic course. So uh, I kind of got screwed up when they sent me to my first week-long course because it's one of those typical deals. It's, it's, uh, it, it happens in my industry, which is, oh, we got a course coming up. It's internal course. We're doing it. Hey, just go ahead and send them. You know, he'll learn something. Well, when you haven't taken the person and put them through a basic police sniper course and, and, and taken them through the fundamentals of precision rifle shooting, that could be a bad thing. And I'm lucky that for whatever reason, I didn't get too tripped up by that, but I'll tell you, I, I really didn't learn a whole lot. I had a lot of anxiety, and that's not the way to do it. So how did my passion develop after that? I was told this is what you're going to do. 
it wasn't me sitting there going into it saying, hey, this whole sniper aspect um, really interests me. I'm just happy to be on the team. And right. then they sent me that route. And then it's just, I think it's just my innate personality. Uh, I don't want to be mediocre at anything. Mm-hmm. I want to excel at it. And then just through the years of attending courses and stuff and, and being in the role as a police sniper for the Dallas SWAT team, I, I just really started falling in love with it. I'm like, I love, I love the precision aspect to it. Uh, right. you know, in, in, and in, in for what we do in, in law enforcement, it's, it's either you got to have the you got to have the, the accuracy, the fundamentals, the all that's got to be there. But there's a whole another component for us, and it's called field craft. So we have to have the field craft, and then you have to have the ability to put the bullet where it needs to go. And so those two things combined just really drove me to want to be excelling it. And then and then at a certain point, I felt like I had enough um, information where I could sit there and start teaching others because I always wanted to make other people better. Right. Well, it, 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 so what you're telling me is that I'm kind of getting is it wasn't love at first sight. It was just a, a kind of a slow burn and you, you became passionate about it over a period of time. That's exactly how it happened. And I'm, I'm not afraid to say that. And, you know, even if I weren't retired, I'll, I'll, I'll say that because <laughs> the people that put me in that position, they're all, you know, retired. They've been gone. Right. But, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's indicative of sometimes the culture in uh, with SWAT teams and agencies and stuff like that, uh, that, you know, sometimes, you know, they just don't do things the right way. And, you know, not everything's been done the correct way, you know, throughout my career. You right. know, some things I can affect and change and then some things I cannot, but it, yeah. you know, at least I try. Yeah. Well, what I've seen over the years, you know, and, and you know, you know who I work with and everything else, um, you know, it, it seems like that, the the emphasis on, on the training gets to somehow be okay. What we're looking for is we're looking for free classes. Okay. And it's not, it's not anything that's their fault simply because you have budgets to deal with. Um, you uh, at Dallas, y'all are blessed with a little bit better budget than, than most law enforcement. I, I'm sure you would agree, but um, it seems like they're having to deal with these budgets. So you end up with uh, training that kind of follows the same trunk up the tree. You know what I mean? And it just, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't step outside to see what else is going on. And you know, the, I, I we're in a, a really unique place here at rifles only because, you know, we do, you know, state law enforcement, you know, local law enforcement, federal law enforcement, military civilians. And, you know, there, there's a, uh, there's crossover that that goes across these things to where you know techniques get better and more efficient and there's better way to do, ways to do things and a lot of that comes from the competition side of the house because you know the the reality is a lot of these competitors have unlimited budgets you know they have unlimited trading time and you know they they really have developed you know this craft and and not all of it is going to transfer over but some of it does and i feel like that some of those departments out there that are not you know, sending these guys out to, you know, different places to learn from different people. And it, I think that kind of, I think that kind of limits them to a degree. What do you think about that? That's the culture that is. Yeah. Uh, and I think you probably mentioned this the C word several times. It, the culture of the team or the agency, the organization, uh, it may exist that they think there is no one out there uh, that is, that can teach my people any better than what we can internally. Uh, internal training to a fault is inbred training. And right. it's the worst thing, it's the worst place any SWAT team can be living. Whereas, uh, and, and it exists and exists and it's existed with my team in the past. Right. Uh, we do bring in outside instructors. You've got to bring out inside instructors. You've got to send your people out to see what's going out there. You've got to attend trade shows, conferences. You've got to, when you stop being a student and wanting to learn, that is a very dangerous area to be. I remember, uh, and, and, I, and I, I teach your horn just about every training course I have. I, and, and I'll mention Jacob Bynum and Rifles Only, and I'll get some people just kind of look at me like, I haven't heard of that guy, you know, and it, regardless of where I'm at in the country. And then I've got other people sitting there shaking their head. Oh, yeah, we know about Rifles Only and Jacob Bynum. But you are one of the few, one of the few out there that can train all three segments that have precision rifles, which is the law enforcement part, the military student, and then also the civilian. And you can hold uh, their attention because you bring something that they just don't have and they're wanting to learn. And so 
I, you know, kind of go back to the original question. I, I think it's just, uh, it, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons for it. And that's something I've been trying to advocate and break down and will continue to until I stop training is that, uh, you got to get out and learn. You got to get out and learn from Jacob Bynum, who's a civilian, and you will learn a lot. And, and stop kind of putting people, other trainers in boxes and thinking you're not going to learn anything from them. If you learn just one or two things and that serves you well back at your, your place, at your job, then it's worth it. Yeah. And, and even if it's what not to do, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I get you. Yeah. I, I appreciate the kind words, Mark. And, and I, I, I just, uh, you know, I appreciate it, but it's, it's uh, rifles only as a fundamentals course, you know, and the, the fundamentals, uh, I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again. You know, you you can you can be really really good and not follow them, but you're never going to be great unless you internalize those fundamentals as if it's your religion. You know what I mean? Mhm. Yeah, well yeah. cool. Well cool. Well, um just before we move off to some of the other stuff, you know, as a, a SWAT sniper in a large metro area like that and you know, Dallas and it's, it's huge and then you all have responsibilities elsewhere. Um you got a couple of memorable call outs that you've done. I mean, I, I'm, I'm asking this for, uh, for my audience because I know, I know a lot of them, but I just wanted to kind of get you to walk through some of those and you know, what was going through your head. And, um, and if you would, I'll just, I'll just give you the mic on this for a second. Yeah. You know, uh, I've got over, uh, typical conventional squad operations or, or barricade. Uh, there are some, you know, things that are, you know, hostage rescue may not be, a real hostage rescue when we get there and actually get all the information. Uh, it may be, you know, going out doing a vehicle hide, uh, pre-surveillance warrant type deal. Uh, it may be up in a helicopter, right? Aerial platform operations deployed there, uh, kind of pre-planned mission, or maybe it's a crisis. Maybe we've had an officer killed and, you know, we're circling orbiting above looking for the uh, suspect. But I would say there's, there's two that come to the mind. Uh, uh, 2015, uh, was the year, um, we had a, uh, uh, this guy just, uh, he twisted off. He'd been twisted off. His kid was taken and removed from him, uh, by a family court judge and awarded to his mother. Somehow he wanted to take it out on the Dallas police department. So, um, uh, he, he drove down one evening, uh, close to midnight and started shooting at the front of the headquarters. And so this kind of made national news and I'm sure international to some extent. Uh, and then we, we actually had two different spots where, you know, there were, uh, it was a, a gunfight, you know, with them. One being in front of the police headquarters off of South Lamar Street. And then when the pursuit ended in Hutchins, Texas, down there. Um, so he was claiming to have 20 pounds of composition C4 explosives in his uh, van that he had bought off eBay mm-hmm. uh, a week earlier. Uh, this van, uh, eerily, as I deployed from my Tahoe and I first saw it, Jacob, uh, it reminded me of a Linko Bearcat, which is really? that's what we drive. Yeah, that's, our yeah, that's a vehicle. big, that's a big armored vehicle. Yep. Yeah, and I'm like, oh my, and you know, you know, I've been on the team a while back in 2015, so I'm like, uh, yep, this is this is going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Mm-hmm. And so, fortunately, uh, we had a, a couple of our other snipers that already got the wheels in motion to have our 50 cals uh, coming from our office, where they were essentially lo- uh, kept. Uh, in route to the location. So, uh, I deployed on scene, uh, trying to see what snipers we had there, where they had deployed. Uh, one of the 50 shows up, uh, Barrett MHQA1. And I will say this, I'm extremely proud that the Dallas Police Department SWAT team, we had had a program, a 50 cal program for the previous 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of training, qualification, and sustainment. We started that back a long time ago, and I'd like to give uh, kudos to Jude Braun. He's the one that was the, the architect uh, who saw, who was always looking at the emerging threats and was pushing us to have stuff that most thought teams at the time wouldn't even spend the money or invest any training time in. Yeah, they probably so, wouldn't even look uh, at it or even consider it. Yes, exactly. So the pizza gets there, and um, I mean, a lot of learning things came from it. That's why you actually created a course. Uh, for uh, large calibers for, for SWAT teams. I was in a low light condition assembling a 50 cal, which at the time we had, we always did like a two man assembly with, uh, with the M82A1. Yep. And so I found myself uh, in a darkened area putting together the beard. And I'm like, okay, I better do my uh, function test here and make sure everything's good to go before I uh, start moving into position. 
So uh, got it together, and we had another uh, 50 being put together by two other snipers. They deployed uh, to an elevated, elevated position of, on top of a bank at the time and had a good uh, 90 degree uh, look into the uh, the van. And then myself, uh, I actually had one of uh, my partners show up, and he's the one that actually took the, uh, the shot uh, that killed the, uh, the suspect at the time. He deployed, he, he got on scene, and uh, he saw me running with, uh, I kid you not, I, I was uh, sweating proficiously. This is at like 1 o'clock in the morning. I am running with my Lulu Tactical 308 uh, underneath one arm, and I've got the Barrett M82A1 underneath the other arm, and I've got my sniper pack on and, you know, donned out multicam. And, uh, I mean, it is an ass whooping. I'll be <laughs> honest. Uh, I, I, I was trying to move. And again, this guy's already engaged with two different rifle fights. Mm-hmm. So it's not one of those, it's not one of those call outs where you go there and there hasn't been a shot fired. You know, that heard a peep out of the, uh, the suspect inside the location. I mean, this guy is active, right? right? So you really be, you really better be looking for how you're going to ingress and egress out of that inner perimeter. So. Uh, he saw me, he grabbed the 50, and then we deployed basically on the front side of the vehicle about 70 yards away looking at the front windshield. Mm-hmm. And uh, for probably several hours, you know, he just, this, the suspect just paid low in the, low in the van. He never raised himself up uh, to give us a target. Mm-hmm. And I will say this, you know, your, your viewers may say, give us a target. Were y'all ready to kill him? Uh, yes, we had already been authorized to use deadly force against him. How, so, many, how, many, people uh, he, how many people had he shot but prior to this? So he had shot at a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, crazy thing is, uh, he had shot at officers that were inside the uh, headquarters uh, yep. in the front entry area. Uh, fortunately, none of them got injured. He had shot, uh, he was shooting a 76239, uh, okay. I think it was a DPMS, uh, out of shooting force out of this van. Mm-hmm. He shot at other officers um, in front of the headquarters. He shot at them when the, the pursuit came to a stop in Hutchins. But fortunately, no Dallas officer was seriously injured or, or hit. Right. So that was, you know, the good Lord was watching over us uh, for, the, for this entire thing. Absolutely. Uh, Sorry for the interruption. Carry on. Oh, no, no. So, you know, the, 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 the reader's digest on this is we, uh, uh, we deployed to the, the front side. So we've actually got uh, about 270-degree sniper coverage on this van, except for the rear. Okay? So okay. we've got it covered at 3 to 12 in the uh, 9 o'clock position. And we in two of those positions, we got the 50. So, right. uh, again, uh, you know, deadly force has been authorized. And uh, so several hours into this, and, and, and we're, my partner and I, I just don't want to mention his name because uh, out of respect uh, for him and, you know, next thing you know, people are Googling him up, trying to look him up. Um, we, we're actually rotating on and off the barracks in 20-minute uh, intervals. Mm-hmm. So, again, trying to stay fresh. This yeah. isn't a daytime call out. This is a, you know, this is one, two, three, four, five o'clock in the morning. Yeah. And so uh, we're rotating in on and off. But, you know, all of our training up to that point for him and I, we basically came on the SWAT team at the same time. I mean, this was just so the normalcy for us, even though we didn't deploy the, the 50 cal on really that many call outs at all. Mm-hmm. We were just on and off that gun. And it was just, it, it, it felt natural. It yeah. felt like, Okay, we got this. Yep. Yeah, it's not through real weight. It's our 50. So we did that until uh, it came to a point in the op that we kind of realized, you know what? And, and I'll tell you, this took entirely too long in our part, that he could still go mobile in that van. Right. In fact, his engine was still running. Mm-hmm. So we decided, came up with a plan to uh, shoot the 50 and actually the 308 also into the engine block to disable the engine so right. he couldn't go mobile. We cannot have this guy claiming to have 20 pounds of explosives going mobile. So right. that cannot happen. Not with the SWAT team there. We just we can't allow that. So decision was made to do uh, engine disablement shot on the vehicle. Uh, of course, we already had the the, uh, the authorization to use deadly force on him. So we developed a plan, and we, we pumped three rounds of, uh, of rounds into the, uh, from the 50 and three rounds from the 308 into the engine block, essentially at the same time. Yeah. And that, that killed the engine. engine well, were y'all using yeah, API so, on that? No, no. We actually, uh, because of our program and, and knowing we had certain projectiles that were were ideal for certain scenarios, mm-hmm. we actually fired, to disable the engine, we actually fired uh, uh, three rounds of Engel Ballistic Research uh, 
it's, a, it's basically a, a copper uh, frangible round, yep. but it's still at the time was nearly 600 grains. Right. And so just firing those into it, and I'm sure the 308s really didn't have much of an impact at all. So right. it basically, you know, the engine was basically shut down with those. So it's a very safe round to fire yep. and still an urban setting. And yep. we knew what it should do, and, and it did what we needed. So that was successful, and uh, 30 minutes later, suspect um, <laughs> he raises himself up and presents a profile uh, from uh, behind the uh, the front windshield. And um, I'll be honest, I, I, I saw him, and again, I'm out there on the gun uh, a lot. I'm fatigued. I'm tired. I'm 40 something years old. Uh, you know, I'm not no, I'm not a young buck anymore. And I I actually have to squint my eyes. To make sure I'm seeing correctly. Yeah. And so by the time I consciously make a decision, he is now out of my field of view through my night force. Yeah. And so I don't fire, but my partner who he had relocated with the pizza cow on top of a, uh, a pizza crap shed in the back of this, uh, vacant area we were occupying essentially the backyard of, of homes, uh, he he still saw him, and mm-hmm. so as he rose up and then started coming down, he still had a shot of opportunity, and then uh, he fired one round, uh, and it was actually military uh, black tip AP, mm-hmm. uh, and that round uh, went through uh, the front windshield, which was about an inch thick. Yeah. Uh, the tungsten penetrator on this AP started yawing, mm-hmm. and it actually yawed, and the point of aim was uh, initially was uh, the, the right chest, the right nipple area, mm-hmm. and the impact having to travel through the uh, the, the front windshield, yawing, and then also hitting some wire mesh behind that. It, it yawed a little bit more. Right. It actually hit him in the right side of the face. Yeah. So what was a trying to get the shoot the biggest part of the body mm-hmm. uh, by him actually ended up being a headshot. What, what was the difference? What was the the distance from the initial barrier, i.e., the glass? to the guy who took the round in the face? I, I, I would say you, you're probably looking at uh, two and a half feet. Yeah, feet. yeah. so it, it just a, a pretty short interval there before it got blown off a good, what, nine, ten inches? Yeah, you know, and that shot was, uh, people are still, they, they just think, hey, hit the cow, that's going to be, you know, eight, nine thousand yards, you know, 1200 yard shot. Yeah. No, that, that's not the case in law enforcement. Right, you know, right. We, that, that shot, that 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 night was 43 yards. Yeah. Yep. And the, and the kinetic energy, uh, striking energy for, you know, at the muzzle and being 43 yards away, not much is burned off. Right. So we're still hitting him with a good, you know, close to 10,000 foot pounds of that kinetic energy. Yeah. I was just writing down here. I looked like about 10,800. Amazing. Amazing. So that was, that, that was it. That was just finished with up, finished it up with just one shot. Yeah, uh, one shot, you know, uh, <laughs> everything went our way. And yeah. you know what? Uh, it was a collective effort by everybody, but I would tell you uh, the Dallas Snipers really shined that day. Mm-hmm. And my, uh, my my partner and longtime friend, I mean, he was, uh, you know, uh, we're both tired. We're both about the same age. And, uh, you know, he was on top of his game. And yeah. uh, and that led to, uh, you know, end of the incident. There was, there was a post uh uh, incident um, thing that took hours and hours again. Right. They claim it have explosives, then then uh, then you have the uh, uh, EOD portion of that uh, mm-hmm. before anybody's even going to push up on that. But we we're pretty sure at the center in the bottom, and they saw him uh, laying down in the back of the van that you know he he had hit got hit by the fifty. So right. um, that that was pretty much a done deal. And the incident, you know, uh, that was a long day. I, I think yeah. I came back home and I couldn't go to sleep. Actually, got in my pool and uh, drank a beer and just <laughs> trying to chill out. Well deserved. Well deserved. Well deserved cerveza at the end of a long day. So I, I get you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I remember. I remember when this happened, and it's just. Uh, I, I thought that was a pretty pretty interesting story. Uh, any other ones? Yeah, crazy enough as it is, the next year, twenty sixteen, um, I'm at home. The snipers that actually. Uh, we're not working. Uh, the rest of our team was working in the evening on uh, mm-hmm. this picker day. And we had actually uh, had a 50 cal training day. Uh, go figure, right? Yeah. Uh, knocking out our quals and stuff like that. Right. And that is when, uh, you know, there was a, uh, a Black Lives Matter uh, protest 
that was scheduled. We knew about it. It was a peaceful one. These had been occurring in the city of Dallas on and off yeah. um, back in 2015. So uh, we were not deployed uh, just because, you know, all the indicators from our intelligence community was it's just going to be peaceful. And it was. Yeah. Uh, until one instigator showed up and kicked all this whole thing off. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, all look, this guy's intention was to kill white police officers. Yeah. Uh, period. And so make no bones about it. My police chief at the time, David Brown, um, he, he said it also. He's, he, he's out there, and that was his intent to kill white police officers. And that's what he did. And so this is the most tragic day in the Dallas Police Department's history of officers killed in the line of duty. Uh, you had four Dallas police officers murdered, and you had one of them that was uh, uh, a dark officer, a Dallas Area Rapid Transit officer, mm-hmm. uh, just sensibly, sensibly murdered. Um, you know, for what? And so, um, as I responded from, I was sitting from my computer working on curriculum, uh, about nine 30 that night, responded downtown, downtown. Uh, as soon as I got there, I said, in the math chaos, Jacob, I'll tell you a lot of these incidents where they occur in the country, uh, the initial 30 minutes or even up to an hour or more, it's just chaos. Yeah. The, the radio traffic is just you know, suspects here, suspects there, you know, this is a suspect, uh, this is a bomb over here. And so you have to, just, you have to sift through that, uh, that chaos and try to understand what is, what is real, what is tangible, what do we need to focus on and what do we not? And sometimes that's not very easy to do. Yeah. I got there and probably within 15 minutes, uh, riding downtown, I, I'm like, um, I need to get in a helicopter. I need to get in our helicopter because there are, you know, there are reports of multiple shooters. There's reports of female shooters involved in this and people still on the run. And so I, uh, I requested from the SWAT lieutenant to deploy aerial platform mm-hmm. and he authorized it. And so I got with Air One, uh, which is called time for the Dallas helicopter. They came in and I met them at our offsite location, which we had planned for uh, in the past and mm-hmm. they picked me up to Fair Park. And, um, you know, for the next three and a half, four hours, you know, except for refuels, uh, I was up in the helicopter and, um, we were, I was looking for a target. Yeah. I was looking for this person that had, uh, killed, um, you know, police officers. Right. So, um, you know, in, in the final outcome of this, it, it, it was one, one person, one lone actor that did this and they were, uh, contained into the El Central College on the second floor, just, mm-hmm. off, just outside the library. And so, you know, we didn't know that, and we would respond to, hey, we think, uh, you know, patrol officers think they got a shooter in a vehicle, and they pull them over, and we'd be doing overwatch on top of those. But, uh, you know, that was uh, that that was just a very sad uh, night, I think, for uh, everyone in the country. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, and still looking back on it, it just, <clears throat> it, it, it just gets me emotional because, um you hear, well, one officer's dead, and then you hear, and this is this is me already in a helicopter. Right. Second officer has died. Then would they come back and tell you a third officer has died? And Jacob, they, we got up to five. I mean, I'm like, this is unbelievable. Yeah. This is Dallas, and we have five officers that have been intentionally murdered, assassinated by this guy, uh, and I am pissed. The pilots are pissed. I'm like, who? The, the gall and audacity of this person to do this to us, um, you know, that, you know, there was just anger. You're, you're angry at why someone would target us for this. I, and I understand it's not, we don't have a perfect world. Right. And I understand there's racism. I understand all this stuff goes on and everything, but good grief to go to the extent of intentionally murdering people uh, because of your beliefs. So, you know, it's just, uh, I, I still sit back and look at that, and it's like surreal. Sometimes I go, "Man, did this actually even happen in, in downtown yeah. Dallas?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in that year, you know what I mean? It's just like you think that those days were were over, or only happened in other countries, or something like that, but not in not in you know right right in the middle of America like that. Yeah. So that that was definitely um, you know I I, I want to give uh, credit to our pilots. They flew their ass off. And that uh, Bell Jet Ranger, yep. um, just the constant orbits around the Bank of America building that night. Uh, and, and the wind, 
was not nice to us. Right. <laughs> it's, a two, it's a two-rotor helicopter, <laughs> and uh, every time we come around one side of the building, uh, man, it just pushed us down like we were nothing. So, yeah. you know, uh, I, they, they flew their, their ass off, and, and I, I'll never forget those two pilots that night. Well, that's good. That's good. Uh, on a technical note on that night, uh, two questions. Uh, what weapon system were you deployed with? So that night I deployed with, uh, and it had to do, and, and certainly you understand about this with the, the aerial training you do, and uh, it was 96, 97 degrees outside yeah. still. We have two pilots coming in on a two-rotor helicopter, which you have to start thinking about Wait. Uh, density altitude. Yep. Uh, trying not to have them over torque the engine too much uh right. as we take off and and they're they're landing they're not landing at their hangar so right. uh they're they're in a confined area coming to pick me up right. uh and get me going so uh i stripped down to bare essentials i had i had two mags and i had my uh sbr at the time mm-hmm. with a uh Either EOTech or aim point on top of it with a magnifier. Yeah. Uh, my kit, my kit to rig me in there, and that was it. Yeah. And uh, I had, uh, you know, uh, I was as minimalistic as I could be, and in, even with that, they actually torqued the engine on takeoff. Yeah. Uh, and not not into the red, but they torqued it enough where you know they were like, they're like our pilots are great. They're like, you know what. <laughs> Officer shot killed and everything like that. You know, yeah. all bets are off. If we got to overtorque the engine, we're going to overtorque the engine. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to pick up this guy because we may be the difference between, you know, other officers still getting killed if this guy is yeah. still open air running around. Absolutely. Well, you know, you and I, you and I taught that class together on aerial platform and we, we were mm-hmm. dealing, we were dealing with that a little bit in that, uh, in that jet ranger we were using then. Mm-hmm. So it, it happens, and yep, being a pilot, yeah, definitely. And being a pilot, I know about density altitude, and sometimes they fly, and sometimes they don't. So, <laughs> pretty, pretty interesting. Yeah, there's there's lots of stories about that. Um, whenever it gets really, really hot, and and uh, you're trying to trying to put some weight on there, you start you know trading off you know fuel for people, and fuel for bags, and fuel for gear, and all kinds of stuff. So yeah, I kind of understand how that works. Well, man, that, that what was uh, what was the final resolution on that one? Well, you know, um, I credit our our team that was inside El Centro for really thinking outside the box, innovative thinking. Uh, I credit the, the our energetic breachers, which that's explosive breaching. It's just the, uh, the softer way to say it. Yep. Um, they uh, they thought outside the box, and look, you don't typically want to, especially in the law enforcement world with liability. You don't, you know, you don't strive to employ new tactics and new techniques without vetting them, you know, during training first. Yeah. But look, look, we didn't have, <laughs> we didn't have time to vet the idea of the theory of constructing a charge, uh, you know, and putting it on a hardbound book and putting it on an EOD bot and then sending the robot down there and, you know, detonating it. Right. That hadn't been conducted in training. Right. Uh, that was, to the credit of everyone there, the just the innovative thinking and saying that look, all bets were off. This guy, uh, he wasn't he was going to die, right? And uh, he was going to die um, according to how we wanted it to go. Right. We were not going to let him get out and do and kill anybody else. It right. was up to us uh, to to finalize this. And so, to that end, you know, we had the support of our chief, you know, the, the same chief of police. From yep. 2015 with the 50 cal, yep. David Brown, who's now the superintendent in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, he he said, "Do it." Okay. Yep. And so uh, we knew what the outcome outcome should be, and I still remember. I was, you know, we were orbiting uh, El Centro when the charge went off mm-hmm. uh, in front of the suspect, and uh, I still remember seeing through the windows uh, the light from yeah. the charge. So that uh, that still sticks in my memory. But yeah, uh, you know, we the the guys built the charge. Um, we've had an explosive breaching program for a long time in Dallas. We've been very successful for us, kept us safe and kept the suspects safe. But this was very intentional to end someone's life uh, as we weaponize a robot. Yeah, and well, really I don't think been- I don't think at that point it that had been done in domestic law enforcement, had it, Mark? No. No, this this was the this was the first case, and in yeah. fact, with the fifth cow intentionally killing somebody with the fifth cow in law enforcement, 
we were the first. Yeah. Uh, there was other instances of shooting engine blocks with 50 right. and, and, and whatnot. But yeah, I'm aware of that. Intentionally, and look, we we never thought with the 50, we always thought it was going to be for engine displacement, right? Something right. like that. We, we we didn't think this was going to be like something in Afghanistan where you know, we're knocking off you know, insurgents right. off the mountaintop. Yeah. But never say never, Dave. <laughs> <Jacob. laughs> yeah, talking about that, uh, uh, another conversation you and I will have over some beers. I got some good ones. <laughs> that one <of> the, <laughs> well, very good, Mark. Well, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Now, I, I know that um, I know that you were you were busy um, while you were a police officer. Tell me tell me about some of the classes that you have developed. I know that you've done a public venue thing that you've developed. Uh, you've done some stuff with uh, through TacFlow, and you're still doing that. Um, tell me a little bit about that. Cause I know that that was pretty innovative stuff. Yeah. You know, throughout the country, uh, outside Dallas, I, I'm mostly known for, uh, the type of training I've done with TACFLOW Academy and before TACFLOW Academy, it was Craft International. Craft yeah. International was a, uh, a kind of a short-term deal, uh, started up by Chris Cowell, uh, yeah. of the Navy SEALs, of course, American Sniper. Mm-hmm. So when he got out of the army, uh, he basically wanted to provide training and um, he actually, um, you know, we became friends because he actually lived just south of Dallas. He'd come out to our range. And he got to know all of our snipers and just a really great guy. And you, you, could, you could do a whole hour on Chris Cowell and just how this guy was just anything but Navy SEAL. I know. The Texas boy. Yep. And so, uh, you know, the courses uh, really, they, I, I, and I'll say this, I, I, I've never thought I could get in front of anybody and teach anything that I did not first do in Dallas operationally. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, I want to be, have done that, uh, so that I can really make people better what they're going to be doing in, in those arenas. So the first one was the public venue, uh, course, which mm-hmm. was, I was deployed at the Cotton Bowl football stadium for games doing overwatch. And I was like, I'd never shot inside the stadium. And so that really bothered me. Mm-hmm. And so to that end, uh, not only did I shoot in that stadium, uh, more than once, uh, I developed a training curriculum, and we have uh, that, that curriculum that started back in really 2006. Uh, still goes on. We've done a couple courses already this year, and so we have we've actually uh, 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 finished our 30th public venue. I say our 30th public venue uh, we've uh, we've achieved. So that was most recently in Omaha, the College World Series played, mm-hmm. but we've been to 30 different training venues to do this course and we've done the course 36 times mm-hmm. so i'm very proud of that that will never end uh, it will only end when i decide i'm going to stop teaching it and i'm going to pass the torch to someone else to teach it right. but it's still in very very high demand and that uh, that is overwatch certainly for sporting events or whatever but also it has a nexus to just the overwatch that uh, law enforcement snipers are doing every day across the country right, right. for any event right that so really helps in that regard uh, the, the large caliber instructor program I have exists because of what happened, um, in 2015 with us shooting the 50. Right. We had people call our office, Jacob, and they're like, wow, that was great. Uh, totally Doug, how you doing? Hey, we got a 50 and we don't know where to start. Right. And so we would get these phone calls and I'm like, you know what? There's a need here. Uh, and so I'm going to create something. And yep. so I created, created the curriculum and we've taught that over 10 times since 2015 and had a lot of great success. So there's a lot of, a lot of your uh, SWAT teams out there that are running large calibers and predominantly those are dominated by the 338 Lapua Magnum and the 50 BMG. Right. So those are the two calibers we're, we're, we're dealing with right now. And then lastly, uh, area platform operations, uh, Neil Morris uh, came out back in 2000, uh, former master gunny, gunny sergeant with the Marine Corps, um, and he taught us how to shoot out of helicopters. Mm-hmm. And that, that was a long time ago. And so, you know, we, we had a program that started up. Some years it was going good, some years it wasn't. And then um, I eventually uh, got, some, got some instructor certification from uh, Greg Coker, mm-hmm. uh, former night soccer pilot. And uh, I'm like, you know what? I'm ready to go back and start teaching this. So mm-hmm. I, I developed my own curriculum. And things that I've learned from, you know, from the different people that's impacted me. And so I had that curriculum to this day. And we just recently, uh, like uh, four weeks ago, finished training Michigan State Police uh, mm-hmm. to shoot out of their helicopters. And it really, it's, it's, it's understanding the, the what's going on when you're shooting from the helicopter, how to make the bullet go where it needs to go from the moving platform. But it really is having that asset 
up in the aircraft for overwatch for communications with people on the down the ground. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole other shot. The, the, the shot aspect of this is going to be a low probability. Right. Uh, what's, what is needed is your eyes and ears up there in the aircraft. Okay. And if you have to use uh, uh, daily force up there, whether it's on a person or you're trying to disable an engine, you know, that's, that depends on your policies and procedures. So those are the three areas that I have been heavily involved in with tax flows uh, the last 15 years. Uh, I'm the director of sniper training, which all that means is uh, I've got a great group of uh, instructors that teach, uh, and some of them have created their own courses also. Uh, uh-huh. When we, we started seeing a huge need with uh, snipers uh, in law enforcement and getting some formalized training, shooting off uh, the tripod. Right? right, yeah. And so that's one of the courses we offer because uh, it's the most, really it's the most practical piece of equipment now that uh, a police sniper can deploy with in addition to the rifle. It's that tripod just allows you so many, you know, things that you can do and sustain your position for a long time. Yeah, I agree. So that's, that, that's what I do. And, uh, that, those, those three courses keep me going. And, uh, even in retirement, uh, they do. There's, there's still a big demand on it. Uh, but I will tell you, I, uh, the day I start taking, uh, the demand for it in my position, the community, uh, taking it for granted and thinking I'm all that, then that's time, that's the time I need to stop doing this. Yep. No question about it, man. I think that's going to be a long way off, though. And you, you got something else going on new now. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I, uh, I took a position with uh, Fund Retirement with a company out of Vegas uh, in Seattle called Brink, B-R-I-N-C. Uh, they actually manufacture uh, a drone for first responders. Uh, really, the drone was created because of the events of 1 October, uh, the uh, where nearly 60 people were murdered uh, by uh, that criminal sniper in Las Vegas at Mandalay. Uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, short of it is, this drone got created for the Las Vegas Metropolitan SWAT team, and uh, you know they they were the first to buy it. And so, it's a drone just really you know it excels in interior searching. And um, you know, and I'm fortunate uh, to have this position. I go around and do demos and I do training and stuff about how to fly the drone, go through it right. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, I, I, this kind of goes back to the whole sniper side of it. Snipers, for the most part. They actually seem to be, they seem to see the bigger picture on things more than others. And so I've seen this with other snipers and what they're doing, either active still on the team or maybe in their retirement life. Uh, I think snipers, a lot of us get it. We, we see that, yeah, we think everything's, you know, everything has to do with sniping or equipment. We, you know, we're constantly asking for money for this, 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 but we, we see things with a little different optic. And so I would sit there. For the last year and a half and see us fly drones on our SWAT ops and I'm like, this is fascinating yeah. that we're using this technology. You know what? It's gonna keep us safer. And you know, if it keeps us from having to kill somebody inside, I'm all for it because there and again, no one wants to be an officer involved shooting. And certainly we're seeing where across the country, depending on where you're at, um, officers are being indicted even on justified shootings internally. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, th- there's a huge movement to, look, if someone doesn't want to come out of a structure, yeah, at some point we're going to have to go in there and we're going to have to get them. And yeah. that may end up in their death. That yeah. may end up one of us getting hurt, seriously hurt or killed. Right. So what can we do to make sure we're doing everything before that happens? And the use of drones is one piece of technology that, kind of checks the box on that and can, you know, give us intelligence and observe and communicate, you know, maybe keep us a little safer. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Are these, uh, are these things affordable for the, for the law enforcement community or are they uh, pretty high? No, no. The, the basic kit is just under $9,000, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, to put in perspective, uh, terrestrial robots have been in use for, by SWAT teams for, the last 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. robot platforms, they're expensive too. I mean, you, you can easily spend 20, 30, $40,000 on a robot. Yeah. Um, that's just, you know, calling on the ground. Right. Uh, but the drone, the drone actually pays for itself pretty quickly because yeah. once, once it flies in there and starts clearing, you actually can clear quicker, get your team in there to clear it. Okay. Make sure there's obviously no one in there right. and get, get the op over with or make the arrest. And whereas before, you may have to be there another hour or two to achieve that. 
just because the technology moved a little slower. With the drones, we're actually speeding up the ops and getting gone. So now we're actually not costing as much to have the SWAT team out there. Yeah, well, I guess I guess if you have a, a, a building with multiple rooms, you could, that drone can kind of let you know which rooms need to be cleared and which ones don't. Yeah, and they can do it very quickly. Drones move fast inside locations. Yeah. We're not going so fast that we're going to miss stuff. But let me tell you, I mean, you have to see it in person. It's, it's pretty cool, the technology. And just the technology of drones in general, uh, how they're going to be continuing to use and law enforcement responded right. to 911 calls. I mean, Jacob, they've, in California, they've got drones that launch from rooftops that as soon as the 911 call comes in, mm-hmm. they're heading over to the call and they're eyes on before the responding officers even get there. Yeah. That, that, that technology is here now and mm-hmm. it's going to, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come to every major city soon. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it. Amazon's doing drone deliveries. You know what I mean. So <laughs> you can mm-hmm. you can put them right out where you want where you want. Um, yeah, well, that's cool, man. I'm I'm glad you're doing that. Well, Mark, I, I uh, we're we're coming up on that on that time about my podcast that run. And uh, man, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for coming on and taking the time. Uh, I know that you've been busy all week and uh, taking the Friday afternoon to to visit with me on this, man. I really really appreciate it. Well, hey, it, I, I love chit-chatting with you, and uh, thank you for inviting me to do this. And I want to thank you for what you've done to uh, assist my community uh, because, um, you know, you, you didn't have to train law enforcement snipers. You know, you can do your own thing and civilians and military and been just fine. But I thank you for serving us uh, because you've made us better at what we do every day. Well, I've met a hell of a lot of really, really good people in, you know, the state and the and the local as well as the federal law enforcement. A lot of really good guys out there and girls, too. So, uh, yeah, man, I, mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I appreciate that, Mark. Well, cool deal. We'll hang on uh, with me. We'll we'll wrap all this up and I'm going to get our, our exit music out here and um, then hang on the line with me and we'll we'll finish up our little chat here. But guys, uh, remember ROAP at riflesonly.com. If there was any questions you had for Mark, uh, you can email to me and I will forward over to him if he's able to talk about it. There's a lot of stuff he's not able to talk about, which is understandable, but uh, he will. He, if it's something he can talk about, he can do it. And Mark will uh, try to get you back on at another time. But but I appreciate you being here, sir. It's been great. <laughs>